0: do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead be filled with the spirit six five to nine slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey christ obey them not to win favor obey them not to win their favor when their eyes on you but as slaves of christ doing the will of god from your heart Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jamal and good morning to everyone. If you're wondering why I'm playing with my phone, it's so that you don't slip off, so let me just time myself. Um, oh dear. All right, after a rather awkward start. Um, we've been speaking uh, for, um, about work. And the reason why we're talking about work is, as Francis said, we are, we want to be a gospel-centered urban church. And by that, he's saying that on the one hand, the church is meant to be a replication of what is going to happen in eternity, a whole new, new human race. But on the other hand, that human race is occupying a spot in this here and now. Now, the here and now comes with his different shapes and its different sizes. In the world that we live in now, you actually, maybe one very, very crass way of dividing the world is both, is the urban and the rural. Now, I know there are some in-betweens there, but when you come to a place like Lagos, there's nothing rural about this place. It's fully urban. By urban, we mean loads of people crammed up together. There's density. And with that, produces all manner of things. Human ingenuity, human innovation, entrepreneurship, but at the same time, certain kinds of challenges as well. Uh, Broken uh, relationships, um, difficulty in our work, all the different kinds of things. Now, to be a church is that you want to be people who, by the message of Jesus Christ, by the power of Jesus Christ, you want to live in the different spaces that he's called you to. And so we want to be a church that is called to the city of Lagos, and the city of Lagos is very, very urban. And that's why we've been speaking about work, right? So last week, we talked about work. This week, we're going to complete It's a very, very short series, just two parts. Last week, we defined work to be God's dignity bestowing call to serve as royal priests. God's dignity bestowing call to serve as royal priests. So that we are called by God, and that call, God puts a dignity on the worker. And what he's meant to do is to serve humanity, all right? The call, the dignity, and the humanity. We also said this. Why does it have much dignity? It's very simple. God who created us is a worker. When he created this world, the Bible says that he worked. And then it says we are created in his image. Therefore, part of the way we express this image bearing is that if God works, then we work as well. And we also saw that in creating this world, there were two things that we saw God was doing. He was bringing nothing, uh, something out of nothing. He was creating things. But at the same time, he was ordering things. He was taking them from chaos to order. By making new things, he was bringing the world from chaos to order. And as a result, we said, well, if we look at that, create, uh, the God's creation and then God's ordering at least you could have two categories of work that you could see in these ones. So for the creating, we said people with creative and revelatory work, you know, so people who are artists, people who are fashion designers and things like that, but also people who are teachers, people who are preachers. Then you have, for the ordering, you have providential and justice work. So people who are into uh, civil service, people who are into town planning, all those different kinds of things for providential and justice, the legals, the paralegals, the justices and all what have you. Now, but that was Genesis 1 and 2. And if you take the storyline of the Bible where you have creation, fall, redemption, and new creation, all that happened in creation, but we know something happened in Genesis 3. Because this, this picture that I just painted, it, it's a very beautiful picture, if you'll ask me, is not really what we experience, And that's because man rebelled against God. And part of the punishment was God said, I will curse the environment for work. He didn't say, I'll curse work. But he will curse the environment through which we work. So there was a fall. Now, how does God then continue to achieve his purpose, especially as work now becomes meaningless? Well, God did another work. And in that work, he sent his son, and he worked, but he worked the work of redemption. And that starts to change how we view work. So, for instance, which I didn't mention last week, we can then think of another category, not just the creative and the ordering, but the redemptive because Jesus Christ came to do redemptive work. So you can then think in redemptive, I can think of redemption work and compassionate work. So redemption work would be God saving and reconciling actions. So people like evangelists, pastors, but counselors, peacemakers. So even the peacekeeping forces that we see are doing God's work. Writers, artists, producers, songwriters, poets, and actors who incorporate redemptive elements in their stories. And for compassionate work, you'd have doctors, paramedics, um, those in gui- uh, guidance counseling, uh, those who are psychologists, therapists, social workers, pharmacists, all of these people we are saying are doing God's work. Now, that is everything about, not everything, but if you want a big picture. Now, some of you will be here today and say, all right, fine, I get all of that, but I hate my job. I absolutely hate my calling." Now, if last week we looked at the forest, today we want to look at the trees. Or if last week we took the helicopter view, now we actually want to calm down. Because when you say, I hate my calling, actually, maybe what you're saying is, I hate my job. And not the same thing. Now, the job refers to not just what you do, but the environment and also the relationships where this calling is lived out. Do you understand? God calls you, but then there has to be a form. And that form comes in the environment and also the relationships that are involved when you are actually uh, working. Now, in this passage that Jumoke okay read for us, it's a long passage, and the reason she started at uh, Ephesians 5.18 is really, actually, she could have started from 15. It's a long um, uh, discussion that Paul is giving here up until 6, uh, verse 9. And what Paul does is that he in Ephesians 5:17, the Christians are called to live wisely, and what he tries to flesh out for us is the different relationships that we find ourselves every single day. So he takes on the, uh, the marital relationships in 5:22 to 33. He takes on the parental relationships in 6:1 to 4. And then he takes on our vocational relationship, 6, 5 to 9. In other words, he gives guidelines to order, husband and wife relationships, parents and children's relationships, and boss and subordinate relationships. You see, God is not just, he's not just, doesn't just care about the what of our work. He cares also about the how of our work. So we want to zero in into your working relationship today and see whether the Bible actually says something about it. Now, again, we can say so much more about work, but we decided to just look at the big picture and then look, about, look at this issue of my job and how do I relate with my boss and every single thing there. All right. So today we're looking on how to work. And we'll take it by looking at three different people. The subordinate, the boss, and the other. The subordinate, the boss, and the other. As I said before, now let's talk about the subordinate. I said before many of us hate our jobs. We have, we just hate it, especially for us who probably serve under bosses. And part of the reason would be one, maybe you feel underappreciated, right? You know how it is. Now your your boss takes, they take all the credit for the good that you do, and then when you mess up, ah, it was uh, it was this, is this new girl or is this? She, She just doesn't listen. And some of our bosses are just belligerent or they're just unkind. Never say any good or nice thing to you. Give you certain kinds of tasks that really, and give you deadlines, that actually you cannot meet. And so when we think of our jobs, we think basically through the lens of our bosses. Oh, I have to go. Today is Sunday. You know, Sunday afternoon, all of a sudden, people, your, your mood starts to change. By Sunday evening, you're a bit more irritable, you know. And by Sunday night, you know, you can't be talked to. And really, it's just the tension. I'm going to meet with these people again. So, what does the Bible have to say? Now, the Bible tells us, Paul tells us something, two things that he subordinates in any kind of situation. Well, not any kind, but in most situations, working relationships, here is a command or here is um, an imperative for us. What are we meant to do as Christians in our places of work? Very simple. Two things. Obey and serve. Can we say that together? Obey and serve. How does that sound? It sounds very nice of you. Right. Are you serious? That's exactly what my boss tells me to do all the time. I thought I was going to hear something new. But actually, Paul says, slaves, obey your earthly masters. Verse 5. Verse 6. Obey them. Verse 7, serve. And actually, it doesn't give any other thing. It just says you are meant to obey and serve. Now, you are thinking here, actually, that's near impossible if you know the kind of boss I have. Or bosses, or the kind of structure that I set in my office. It's really near impossible. Things are terribly hard. And I'll say to you, the Bible says it, I believe it. That settles it. Have we had that before? Yeah. Well, now, of course, there would always be caveats, right? There will always be caveats here and there. The problem with sometimes focusing on the caveat is we end up blunting the force of the command. Now, if you meet me later and you say, well, your boss is actually a rapist and your boss is blah, blah, of course I'm going to say you can't obey him in everything. <laughs> but he's assuming a general thing here. And he, say, he knows, in fact, though I didn't want to comment on it, the word here is masters and slaves. And that is representative of actually something that was going on there. But I don't want to get into that because that would be distracting. Let's just take this to be for the boss and, and subordinate relationships that we experience. But think about this. He was saying this to people who were slaves. And therefore, their working conditions and their masters must have been much more terrible because now they even operated in a system that could enable abuse. And he says you should do what? Obey and serve. As Christians, we are called to obey authority and serve the mission of where we work. Notice what Paul didn't say. Paul did not just say, obey, serve, and also work so that you can get a good living. Now, he says something like that somewhere else, but he doesn't say that here. I mean, many people who basically go to work want to do what they need to do really because they are paying me this Honestly, if you met, the moment they quit that job and get another job is the day they start railing curses upon their bosses. Because they're there for one purpose alone. It is to collect my paycheck. If your paycheck is meant to be on the 28th and you don't see it 12 midnight on the 28th and your boss comes and tells you to do something, you start hissing. And yet, with all these conditions, Paul can say this. He tells us something about Christians and what we should be. One, we should be people who are able to do things despite our feelings. Part of being a Christian is not always, look, you know, I don't feel like doing it tough. And also, Christians are people who respect authority. Now, don't get me wrong. Authority is sometimes quite abusive. But God has ordered the relationships that we find in this world. That's what you see. Parents, children, obey your parents. I have the worst parents in the world. Tough. When you become a parent, you can leave. But children, obey your parents. Wives, submit to your husband. And now it says, slaves or subordinates, obey your bosses and serve them. Now, obedience is for the authority, but service is saying, I am doing much more than just earning my paycheck. I am actually trying to serve this organization and the mission of this organization. Now, if you think that obeying and serving is bad enough, that he gives us those kinds of commands. Well, think about what he says. How you should obey. He says you should obey with sincerity of heart. And that you should serve wholeheartedly, because he says there's another way you can do it. There's another way you can obey and another way you can serve. And he says, Don't do it this way. Don't obey because of eye service. Which is, I am only obedient and I'm only diligent when my boss comes in. How many of you know and I know this happens, whether you say it or not? But this happens in some of your organizations. You don't leave work until your boss leaves work. Huh? You have finished your work, five thirty. But your guy is still there at six o'clock. Why are you still here? How can I leave when my guy is still here now? But if you knew that your guy was living at three thirty, and you are able to finish your work five thirty. You'll be gone by four o'clock. In other words, your heart is not in it. But you are only serving that person. You're not even serving your boss. You're actually serving your boss's eyes. And it's saying that this kind of ingen- um, ungenuine way of serving and obeying is actually not Christian-like. You know, another motivation that we, can, we see often um, for how we do work that isn't right is when our work becomes the source of our identity. By that I mean, as someone has, re- write, has, has put it before, he says, the value of your work becomes the measure of your worth. So that if Francis is a successful engineer and he measures his identity by his work, when Francis is very successful at his work, you know what Francis thinks? He doesn't just think, I'm a successful engineer. Francis says, I'm a successful person. It covers everything. Now, we see a lot of that in our society today. So you have these AOPs, that medical AOPs, right? On no, OAPs, on their personalities, on their personalities, right? That some of them have fantastic voices. God has gifted them with good voices on radio and all that. God has given them good voices. And all of a sudden, from being people who actually have good voices, then now they know a lot about song choices. Then, after that, they move from being people who choose songs, they now start doing MCing at weddings. And after that, they now start talking about politics, philosophy, and even religion as well. Why? Because they are successful at this particular thing. Then, surely, they must be able to speak to this. Or oh, a very, very good business leader is able to build up a fantastic business empire, and then we think he can be president. Don't worry, I'm not referring to anybody. That <laughs> but we, we do live in that. You are an expert in something, and people then expect that you are an expert in everything. And not just that people expect that, you actually start to believe it, because the, measure, the, the value of your work is the measure of your worth. One of the problems with this is that not only do you start to Uh, develop a certain pride and ego. But if you meet the success of your work, you start to find out something. You were not created for your work. You were created to work, but you weren't created for work. And so the longings of your heart that we have as human beings, you find your work, even with the success, cannot actually satisfy it. What about if you were a failure? Well, of course. If your the value of your work is the measure of your worth. If you fail at this, you don't just see yourself as failing at this, you actually become a failure. There was a girl I spoke with last year and it was in a church I, I used to attend and she she was struggling between going back to school. She was in her early twenties, going back to school because people had told her you need to go back to school or just continuing to work. And she said the reason why she doesn't want to go back to school is that she had tried to do it at school before. And she failed. And because of that, she could not do any other thing until she was able to start up a very small business. She had labelled herself a failure. And now she had found work. And she was succeeding at work. And then she saw herself to be a success. But here was the problem. The moment she thought about school, She started thinking, I don't want to go there because that is what made me a failure. Now, we thank God that she'd actually moved away from that and she had gotten some more self-esteem. But her problem was this. She had just changed one identity marker and had taken another one. Neither of them is stable. Some people say, well, I'm failing at my work. I'm failing at school. But guess what? At least my marriage is successful. But again, your marriage doesn't fulfill all the longings of your heart. And so if we are motivated by this kind of thinking with our identity, if you fail, you develop a superiority complex. I mean, if you you succeed, you develop a superiority complex. But if you fail, you will develop an inferiority complex. And this is why, even though we think this command is callous, and you may think that still, I still don't feel I should obey. This, my boss, is not worth obeying or serving. That's why Paul does something very important. I don't know if some of you saw this interview a few years ago. Okay, it's not a few years ago. Over, it was in the early 90s. There well, was a journalist called Martin Bashir. Anybody Martin Bashir? Okay. Martin Bashir was interviewing somebody we all know, Princess Diana. Now, this was in one of the very, very rocky times of Diana and Charles' marriage. And it got to a particular point, and he was asking her, what do you think is really wrong with this marriage? And Diana said something. She said, there's a third person. In this marriage. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. There is a third person in this marriage. Now, just like in his other, some of the other things he was talking about, the marriage, in the marital um, aspect, Paul tells us that if you want to have a successful working culture, or you want to be a successful worker, and when I mean successful, that is doing it the way God wants you to do, there has to be a third person in that relationship. Notice what Paul does. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect, fear, and sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Verse 7, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Now, he's saying all of this because earlier in the, in the book, that's in um, Ephesians, he had actually said something about Christ. The risen Christ, Ephesians 1, if we start from verse 20, he says, this risen Christ, he ra- he's talking about God now. God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominions, and every name that is invoked, Not only, the, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Christ is not just the head of the church, is what Paul is saying, but Christ is Lord over everything. He is the head of the church, but this risen Christ, God has put him on a throne that is over all things. In other words, there is no sacred and secular divide like many people used to say. I'm working outside for myself, but when I come to the church, I am working for the Lord. Nonsense, according to what Paul is saying. If Christ is not Lord over all, he is not Lord at all. In other words, all work as is serving Christ is holy. My work as a pastor is not more holy than Sheena's work as a lawyer, if it is done to Christ, towards Christ. And that's why Christ must not just be the third member of this relationship, he must be the prominent and preeminent member. This should help us in our difficulty. Someone once said, Abraham Kuyper, speaking about this magnitude of Christ's sovereignty. He says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Now, if Christ is head of everything, that should then transform how we serve and obey. One more thing on this point. If we think that earthly motivations and earthly motivations, like I've said, whether it's our identity or whether it is this superficial way of serving, we've seen that they are elusive. They don't give us. Well, some of us keep chasing the thing that we think they will provide for us. We never get it, and they're unsatisfying. When we think we get it, we also see that they actually fail. Jesus gives us something. Verse eight. It says, "Do all of these." Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for every good they do, whether they are slave or free. In other words, God actually still rewards us for doing our work well. Now, where he tells us where he's going to reward us is not now necessarily. The surety of God's Reward for our work. And this shows you how much our work matters. You may think sometimes that this is meaningless. I am not being appreciated. Jesus says, hold on. Serve me now and see whether I will not reward you when time comes. Christianity is nothing. It is not a religion that lets us see eternity. Part of the problem is that we want to have everything we want now. Jesus and Paul tells us that this world, in terms of time, would be like a dot on a whole circle when you compare it with eternity. Can we have that long-term view about our world? Point two. Now you think, well, okay, okay. Ah, I wish I wish my guy was here though. I, no, I don't wish my guy was here actually, because now you'll be looking at me and say, Shogbo, are you here now?" But if you're a boss that is here, don't get too comfortable because he has something for you too. You know, Paul says, look, Paul is a master counselor. There are two people in this relationship. Two of them have to be counseled, all right? So we, fe- we finish with the subordinate. Now, what if you're a boss? Now, I want to read verse, uh, verse 9 and then take that with Colossians 4. And masters, Colossians 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Colossians 4, verse 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Because you know that you also have a master in heaven. What are masters and bosses called to do? They are called to provide their subordinates with what is right and fair. In other words, they are actually called, believe it or not, to care. Care. Not just employ and, or I get to work. Care about them. Provide what is right and what is fair. This usually is not the case. Even when it's kind of done, you know, you say, well, our values are, are, um, we take care of our employees and whatever. So when you have a guilty conscience, you now gather everybody. Let's talk. What do you want? What do you need in this? What do you, you know? And after 30 minutes, you forget every single thing there. Now, this behavior is really because of at least one major reason. That major reason is that boss has another boss. He has another master. If your master and your boss is profit, reputation, or position, then you have totally upturned the uh, the meaning of work according to what the Bible says. If making a whole uh, whole amount of money, increasing our profits from Q1 to Q2 to Q3 to Q4, if this is the reason why you are doing your work, then your God is an object. And guess how you treat people who are created in the image of your God? You treat them as objects as well. In fact, they are discardable objects. I know some people who do not remember the people that worked for them two years ago. I'm not talking about people that are leading organisations of three uh, or three or four hundred people. They didn't, just just change them, just change them, because you know what we need to do. They, they, they're like dead wood, so you just go. You never cared for them. Part of the problem is we live in a time when. The ultimate reason, ask most people, you see it in adverts, you see it on other reports, why is the reason people set up organizations? What is the mo- most important thing for having an organization? Whether you say it or not, and many people are taught this in their business schools and started looking at it after the financial crash in 2008, but it's basically one word, profit. How's this organization doing? We increased our profit. Now, can I tell you that that is a despicable way of thinking about work? Why? What is profit? I'm not saying profit is bad. Profit is basically like breathing for a human being. If you do not breathe, you will die. No organization cannot run on profit. If you don't breathe, you will. You don't believe that? (laughs) If you don't breathe, you will die. But how many of you say that the reason I live is to breathe? Profit is not the reason why we should have or build our organizations. If we we'll do that, we're like people who have absolutely no purpose. We're just there breathing, and we do nothing else. It's not the essence of having an organization. The essence of having an organization is to serve. And this is why so many people are balking under this pressure. This is why if profit is the thing that is driving you, and you can see your competitors doing better, you're going to want to squeeze more and more and more. So what happens for the people that are working for you? More abusive working conditions. So now people have no set time to close. People cannot take their leaves. Crippling workload, obscene financial targets, lack of reasonable job security, and they constantly live under threats of suspension or termination. This is why Paul says, this is not the way to lead an organization. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them. Do not threaten them. You see, we are called to serve. Your, your, your subordinates were called to serve in one way, and you are also called to serve them. If service for humanity is the thing that drives you, then you would also care about serving those who also work for you. Not only is it very good, I think, pragmatically, over the long haul, but it's what is right. Now, one of the motivations, if, as I said, you will create an abusive working environment, if your master is an idol, that is something that is here on earth, The only way out of this, again, is that third person. If your master is not on earth, but your master is in heaven, verse 9, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is where? In heaven. That is the only master who will not destroy you, but at the same time will not allow you to create a destructive working environment. Because we are going to give account to him. When He says that he is in heaven, there is no favoritism with him. It means that we are going to give account to him for the way we led our people on the last day. How did you steward your leadership is going to ask you on the last day? In other words, lead with eternity in view. Lead with the way Christ has led you. Work is for service. Now, finally, because I have to run. The other. The other. Now, if you notice, this third party has been coming over and over again. In the Christian worldview, and when I say worldview, I mean how you live your life. You see, one of our, the things that I want to emphasize in, in this church is worship. Worship is one of the things we want to use to build the culture. Now, it's both worship when we gather, gathered, but even more importantly, worship when we are scattered. God sends us as a church into the world. He gathers us all together on Sunday, at least in this church Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday. But most of the time, we are scattered. Now, worship is living your life as though that third party is the main party. Always living your life with Christ in view. And so Paul then says, whenever you have any kind of relationship with anyone, always live that life as though Christ is there. Whether we are bosses or whether we are subordinates. He's so prominent. I think in these in this verses, throughout, from verse 5 to verse 9, he appears maybe about six times. Whether you think of Christ or you think of the Lord or you think of the Master, he, will, he appears over and over and over again. And I, keep say, I won't say this again and emphasize it. Jesus must not be secondary, let alone absent, in your relationships. Quite often, when I counsel people and you hear all the issues and all the problems and all the blah, the next question as I've said before is, when last did you pray? How's your Bible study going? Consciousness. Part of the prayers I pray when I'm at my best in the morning is, Father, help me to live with the consciousness that Christ is on the throne. I want to have it so palpable. It affects how you address the downfall driver on the road. It affects how you react to your subordinate when they've not done what you've told them to do. And that doesn't mean they, do, they shouldn't serve the due punishment or whatever. But it, there's a difference between punishing someone in a corrective manner and punishing someone in a retributive manner. There's a difference between lashing out on someone because they need it and lashing out on someone as though an idol of yours has been challenged. If Jesus is your God and not something else on earth, it affects everything. But the question is, who is this Jesus? And why does he matter so much to my work? Well, let's talk to you subordinates. Remember, it says that Jesus wants to reward us for every good that they've done in our work. But who is Jesus? Now, Jesus was, according to Philippians 2, a slave as well. Unlike us, he actually always did good. And yet, unlike us, he always did good in what he served. And yet, unlike us, he, is not get, he didn't get a reward. In fact, because of us, though he did his work very well, he got judgment in our place if we believe in him. You see, at the cross, Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus obeyed God even when it didn't feel right to him. In fact, remember in the garden of Gethsemane, he actually, his soul was in anguish. And he said, Look, God, if this cup could pass away from me, let it pass. But your will be done. Here's Jesus facing the worst possible working condition. And what did he do? He obeyed and served because he loved. And Jesus is saying, If you would take this gospel, identity to yourself. All of a sudden, you now have a stable identity, not having your work as the measure of your worth. If the measure of your worth is Christ's love for you in the gospel, in that he took your own punishment for all the things that you've done, then you can go serve your boss, even when your boss is actually not doing very well. You can serve him because, you know what, I am not doing this work to actually gain my value. My value is of infinite worth. And it is because Christ died for me. And he also says, if you do this, your reward will be sure and never fail. Unlike the other one, where it's either elusive or doesn't satisfy, he says on the last day, the reward I will give to you will be sure. And it will never fail to satisfy. And what about you if you're a boss that who is Jesus to you? Well, Jesus is the God who created the world, and therefore all of his, the human beings should actually be subordinate to him. But Jesus is this master who came and had insubordinate slaves. But guess what he didn't do to these insubordinate slaves? He did not provide them with uh, threatenings and terrible work conditions to actually gain their allegiance. No. In fact, he said, I did not come to condemn the world. He did not give, provide them with eternally punishing conditions. But rather, he took the punishment that they deserved. So that in the new heavens and the new earth, which he will give to us, at the end of time, he will provide us with eternally blissful working conditions. You know, I've said that before. For Some of us that say, oh my God, I just want to be delivered from this work. Well, get used to it because you're going to be working in the new heavens and the new earth. But they will be working for the best boss possible. They will be working to fulfill who we are called, and then the curse of the ground will be taken away. Jesus is saying, Why don't you lead in this way, self sacrificially, just as I have done for you? Provide better working conditions according to the capacity that you have. You see, it means that, unlike what they tell you outside in some of the business schools, sometimes Christians, as bosses, we have to be willing to make less money. Because of what God has told us to do. In this way, the gospel changes everything and how we work. So, I want to speak to us today if you are the kind of person here that has not received the gospel. Or, if you are the kind of person who does not see yourself working in these gospel conditions, guess what? Jesus has not just given you the example, he has given you his spirit. To work like this is what we mean to be, live a spirit filled life. God gives you of his spirit so that you can obey, God gives you a spirit so that you can serve, God gives you a spirit so that you can lead all like Jesus did. So what if you don't have this power because the Spirit is not in you? What if you've actually not had Jesus as the one who is your Lord? Yes, he is Lord over all, but you have not voluntarily submitted to him. What if you're having this conviction that, you know what, I have been living for myself and I have made my work my identity, but it still hasn't satisfied. Well, why not give your life to one who has given his life for you? Why not give your life to the one who became totally subordinate so that you can be free? And what if, if we say we are Christians here, Femi, I hear all this, but I do need strength. I do need strength. I'm still somewhat terrified of going tomorrow. My work still lacks meaning. I still don't feel like it's going anywhere. And I hear what you're saying, and I think it's true, but I need to feel it so that I can have strength. Where can we bow our heads? Because I sincerely believe that God will want to touch us by his spirit. I sincerely believe that if you are the kind of person who truly isn't a Christian yet, God wants to meet with you. And if you want to see your work now as something that God himself has called you to but you want to see transformation you want to see a whole different way of thinking you want to see renewal in this your work well before i pray for you spend some time praying you have one minute to pray tell god exactly what it is that you like to see tell god what it is that you are lacking if you're looking to create a new environment in your work because you felt convicted that you've actually lived for something else or you've thought that your work or your business is meant to be for something else and not to serve humanity and to serve God, well, now is the time to ask God for wisdom on how to change. Father Lord, we just thank you for your people. But first we want to pray for those who would not be able to say that they are your people and have seen through evidence of the way they work or the way they lead that Jesus Christ is in law to them. Father, I ask that by your spirit you would touch their hearts. Father, I pray that you would cause them to see their sin and to see how horrible the sin is to you. And cause them to repent. But Lord, we also ask that they will see how loved they are in that you sent your son to die for them. You said if anyone will come to you, you will not cast him out. Lord, we pray that you bring them to you. And for many of us, O oh Lord, here who will call upon the name of Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but have seen Jesus only to be the one who saves them and we are waiting for him to return and then we go. But do not see how our work matters to him. Father, I pray that you fill us with your spirit. And that you would change the way we think. That we would obey as we obey Christ. That we will serve as we are serving Christ. And that we will provide what is right and fair as those who have received more than what is right and fair in Christ. Do it for us, O Lord God, we pray. In the precious name of Jesus, our Lord. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.